When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Santa, you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy, on now at APCO. <laughs> You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Ah, uh, that's a little bit better. Uh, you always feel extra special when they don't even put your opener in the system and they still have the old Trail Town team up there who did finish off last week after a fantastic season, sen.com.au. Uh, if you wanted to relive any uh, of what the Trail Towns team got up to, uh, this is the Sporting Capital. Sam Hargraves is my name. The number to call the Harcourt's open line, one 736 736 uh, You can text in at any time on the 40 Wings temper text, 0433 The... Uh, sporting Capital now uh, till 11 o'clock tonight. So heaps to get through, heaps that I'm looking forward to having a chat to you about uh, and a massive show lined up. I'll introduce our first guest in just a moment. But coming up over the next two hours, Darren Chuck Berry will review England's uh, T20 World Cup triumph last night at the MCG. To the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves. This is Honestly. going well, isn't it? <laughs> that just played off itself. I didn't even press anything and that played off. Anyway, in case you didn't hear it the first time, uh, this is the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves. What is happening today? Um, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh, as I was saying, <laughs> it's a cracking start. Um, so Chuck Berry is going to join us. We'll talk about the T20 World Cup. What a success that it was, even uh, if it was anything but that for the Australian side. Um, NBA writer and NBA draft expert, NBA expert for The Athletic, their senior writer, Sam Vecini, is going to join me. And we'll just have a little chat about how things are shaping up uh, in the early stages of this NBA season. Josh Giddy created a bit of history today, which we will speak about. Um, Taliqua Clancy, uh, a part of uh, one half of uh, a dominant uh, Australian beach volleyball side ahead of uh, Beach Volley Fest that's um, happening at the Great Ocean Road, coming up later down at the Great Ocean Road in Torquay, uh, coming up later this month. So we're looking forward to catching up with Taliqua Clancy. And we'll speak to NFL journalist Bobby Thompson. Uh, massive day in the NFL. And we're about halfway through the season, so looking forward to getting his thoughts. He'll get up nice and early in Florida to have a chat to us a little later in the show. But before we do any of that, um, don't forget to, on a Monday night, heroes, villains... You can put your nominations in. Who are your heroes of the weekend in sport? Who were the villains this weekend in sport? one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. You'll move your Harcourts. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. For all things sport, speak to me. Or you can text your heroes and villains in 0433981116. Great to have this man back. Uh, we're going to be catching up with him as regular as we possibly can. Um, 
You may have remembered uh, Josh Hill from such hits as uh, 66 games and 75 goals for the Western Bulldogs, 107 games and 151 goals uh, for the West Coast Eagles, uh, a star as a player and uh, an even bigger star as a human being, uh, Josh Carter. He's been good enough to come in. You'd remember him from his playing days, Josh Hill. Josh, hello, mate. G'day, Sammy. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on tonight. And um, yeah, it's it's all going well, isn't it? We've had a great start and, yeah, really looking forward to the show tonight and a lot to, lot to talk about. Um, I want to pick your brain, uh, given that we're a couple of weeks out from the draft mm-hmm. and what that time was uh, for you as a young lad growing up in Subiaco. We'll talk a bit about that. But there's a bit happening um, at the moment mm-hmm. and we, um, we are going to make a time to get your view on... I suppose, what's going on and what's been said to have been going on and what's going to unfold in relation to Hawthorne and and how uh, Indigenous players were were treated and where the inquiry finds itself now. Um, We're going to put a bit more time into that uh, and make sure we do that properly and get your view. But um, there's a fair bit happening um, in footy at the moment that I was keen to get your your views on. Um, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, coming back to Essendon, how, um, when you read that, what was the first thing that jumped into your mind? Uh, probably the first thing is, you know what? That's that's a great decision of him to to want to finish off his career with the with the team he started his career with, and and for Essendon, it's a great, um, I think, choice to have him stay under this club. I mean, you go to to a football game, and especially when you go and watch Essendon Football Club, who's one player you'd love to watch and play? You know, go out there, and everybody loves watching Waller the way he puts that pressure on, and, and he kicks those magical those magical goals. Sorry, he's just a magnificent magnificent player. I'm, I'm all over the shop right now, but. <laughs> The way he plays, it, it's, it, it reminds you of, you know, the Cyrils when he's up and about, the, mm. uh, the other players that are electrifying and in terms of the way they put the pressure on. And he's, he's a leader in, the, in his own way. He doesn't provide the voice, uh, the structures and all that. He just he puts that pressure on it and he, he puts fear in, in defenders' mindsets. Absolutely. Know? When they get the ball in, in their back half, you never know where he's going to come from. And that's what, what, what draws the uh, attention from the crowd and the supporters to come to games and want to watch him play. Uh, incredible story his, though, isn't it? Um, coming from uh, Tiwi... And then relocating, uh, adopted um, by um, his adopted mother, Jane. Um, the role she played in, in his journey, um, getting to, you know, coming from Tiwi where um, English didn't come naturally and barely spoke it to then going into a school system and then a football system and Gippsland Power, mm-hmm. Essendon Reserves. I can remember, I think, he, when he was playing for the Bendigo Bombers yeah. um, in the VFL at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then to have got to where he's gotten in football, um, yeah, it is, it's a, it is a wonderful story. It is. It's a great, uh, a great view on his, you know, his personality and his mindset that he's been through so many challenges individually and to overcome all those things and still reach his goal of, of wanting to play AFL and, and, you know, still to continue this day, lead as, as a a young leader and, and a role model to kids growing up wanting to be, you know, in his footsteps and, and following in the way he's gone about his path. I mean, we've all had challenges in lives, but none can uh, go through as much as he has, as you've said, you know, to, to overstep the, the the challenges he's done through, go over those hurdles and, and be able to succeed in the way he has just shows so much about his test of character and, and his mindset as a leader as well. I don't think there was a footy fan that wasn't quite saddened when he announced his retirement earlier this year. And they just weren't the same. I mean, we know that statistically the issues that Essendon had with kicking goals this year, they had uh, far greater issues than that um, throughout the course of the year. Um, 
but he, I don't think there was a footy fan that wouldn't have been saddened by the fact that he wasn't going to be out there because, as you say, he's a player that you go to see for for that for that because you, you you get the feeling that there might be a moment, and when he you could see him coming and make a beeline for the ball yep. or the body, mm. he was one of those players that I think people just inched forward in the seat a little. Yeah, he's he's one of those players that like. Any small forward, you know, you don't have to get all the all the goals. Like we see Charlie Cameron, you know, he doesn't get many touches, but when he does get the ball, he makes something happen. And we know with Wallow that he doesn't have to get the ball as well. He mm. just chases and tackles. And that's what Bombers, you know, tend to drive off. He's, he's uh, impact that he drives with his pressure, his, his work rate around the grounds. He, he just, he's a, he's a fearful player in the way he goes about his business on the field. He, he throws his body in when he needs to. He'll put the pressure on and... And when he does kick those goals, those are the moments that kids talk about. You know, like, how about that goal from, from Tip and Woody? It was amazing. I'm trying to think in my mind how long that streak went for, that whenever he kicked a goal less than one. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a great stat. That's the definition <laughs> we, that, of influence, isn't it? it I mean, is. you, that's, when you have that kind of influence, when you've got that kind of run going, yep. that was a lot of fun, that run. So him coming back, um, I asked you how you felt when you heard that he was – what, what we all agree was, you know, mm. hanging the boots up too soon. What was your first uh, emotion when you heard that he was coming back? I think pride in a way. Like, I'm really proud that he's he's made that choice, not just for the Aboriginal culture, but himself personally, knowing that he's still got more to give. And that's what you should think in your mindset. If you, you know you've got enough to give that your body is telling you to give it up, then you'd, you'd obviously follow your mindset. But him in his own mind thinking that he's still got so much more to give, and we know he can. Because he still has his his presence around in, in the game, which we've said, and and he's he's a draw card. You know, people love to come mm. to games and watch him. And as an as a Essendon supporter, you'd go to the Essendon Football Club and want to buy his Guernsey and want to go to games and watch him play. Because as I said, he's he's a massive influence on the game, the way he goes about it. But it's it's a sad loss to, to when he did announce his retirement. Yeah. To, now change and turn that around. I think it's a great uh, asset as well for Essendon after all the dramas and everything they've been through as well. The um, It is a good news story, isn't it? And the other good news story from an Essendon point of view, um, and, and part of um, the, the great thing about going to have you on is that we, you, you give us, we're going to have the ability to speak about just general footy issues, but also talk about the, the, the issues and, and the stories in and around Indigenous, indigenous players in the game. Yep. And representation and, and, and all those things, um, which we're lo- looking forward to doing. So the other really big story since we last spoke would have been the fact that um, Essendon have uh, appointed their first ever Indigenous board member in 100 Gamer for the club, Dean Rioli. Yep. How big a moment is that? When, when you look around the league in terms of, and we talk about representation, when you look at boards, um, uh, Collingwood... Um, and I've, uh, apologies because I had her name written down and I can't find where I wrote it um, and I'll get it up in just a moment. Mm. But there's not many boards that, that can say what Collingwood and now Essendon and I'd have to go through all the other boards just to make sure. Yep. Um, but how big a moment is that? Oh, look, to have have a past player of Dean Rioli's calibre, I mean, to come back and, and know that you've got a player or a past player at the club driving the standards off-field is, is amazing for, for not just, you know, Aboriginal players but non-Indigenous players as well. To know that this player has done so much for the game, the way it's been through its ups and downs, but he, he was there, you know, through the hard times, the, the tough times before the – after the Michael Long issues and all that. But then to be there and, and see the way that the club's adapted and, and grown throughout having the, the Dreamtime game and, you know, the Anzac game, it's it's a credit to the club to have him come into the club and, and take on that um, – 
that role as on the board and and knowing his influence is going to be a huge advantage towards you know the the influence of players' mindsets and especially Indigenous players as well. He's also going to act as the as chair of the Bombers National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Advisory Council. Um, Essendon's got such a um, an important history mm. with the promotion of Indigenous players uh, through the game. Obviously, the Dreamtime game is the brainchild of, of Kevin Sheedy. Mm. Um, and, and and early days, and for a long time, Essendon was was really a destination club for Indigenous players um, because of a lot of the work that ahead of its time almost that, yeah. that Kevin Sheedy and others did in the space, Michael Long did in the space, recognising mm. that there's that there is a... Um, there's a, a need to make sure that you are as set up as well as you can be. Yep. Um, that's one of the first things that Dean Rioli mentioned, that he wants to become a destination club for Indigenous yep. players again. So the whole idea of um, if you're – we're about to go into a draft. So just hearing mm. that and, – and obviously you don't speak on behalf of and not every yep. uh, Indigenous player is going to feel the same thing, but how big an impact do you think that will have on, on young draftees when they're thinking, oh, where do I want to end up? Mm. The idea of the fact that whether it be Jody Sizer at Collingwood um, or, or Dean Rioli at Essendon, mm. um, do you feel like that'll have an impact on those clubs being destination clubs for Indigenous players or where they'd hope to get drafted to? Oh, look, and why? It definitely helps uh, a young player's mindset as well. Like it puts them at ease a bit knowing that you've got that support off field. And I, I was always under the the decision that if you can – help a player's mindset, you're going to get better results on field. Because if you can look after their mindsets off field, take away the dramas, the, the issues, whatever they're going through, that if they come to the, the football club or come to a game with a fresh mindset, knowing they've got the support to deal with mm. away from the footy club, you're going to get the best player you can get. You know, you'll get the results that you need from a player. They'll play their role. No issues. But if you go to a, a club where you, you're lacking that support of a player, not knowing where they can reach out to talk to somebody like a, a Dean Rioli at your football club, then it's going to... Mm. It's going to show huge uh, influences on on the way that they go about their business on the field, and um, I think for for Essendon, it's 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 huge that they can have that. But it doesn't just stop there. Every AFL club needs to have an AFL Indigenous liaison because it's it's as I talked about. I've I've gone from the Bulldogs where you've had not much support, then you go to West Coast where you've had Phil Narkles, you've had the Dave Wirrapundas around the club that you can reach out and, and find that support that you need if if you need that. And do you feel like that was um, purely just because one club cared more or was it just because of the natural path of time that by the time you got to West Coast, clubs realised a bit more? Uh, Look, I I can't really comment towards the club's uh, roles, but it it definitely helped me personally as a player knowing that I had that support. To go Mm. to a person like Phil Narco at a football club helped me with my mindset and put my mindset at ease knowing that... He's there to support me if ever I need. He's going to be a, a voice if I need to talk to the, the coaching staff, the board members, that if there's a family or sorry business where you go to a funeral, he can be that voice for me, knowing that I'm still a young player trying to earn the respect of my teammates and the clo- coaching staff and, and, and the supporters, that if there's any issues, he's there to support me. You know, not having to put my uh, personal things in public, that's that's the kind of support you needed for a, for a young player, not just even Indigenous players, but knowing that mm. every club now, I know that they have a, a health and wellbeing officer to go and talk to, like a sports psych. Mm. So my advice would be to players these days is if that 
op- option is there. And if you've got any issues, you've got to reach out and get your mindset at ease as quick as possible. Well, and as what Wayne Schwass would say is even if you don't, you should still speak to someone. He likens it always to the car. You, you do your regular servicing on your car mm. um, so that when – if so one, to avoid things going wrong, uh, but two, if you leave it until something's wrong with your car, it's going to be much harder to fix. Yep. And he makes that analogy when it comes to our mental health. If we only ever do something – when something's wrong, mm. then it's going to be much harder. But if you've been maintaining yep. and getting that's regular perfect. servicing, yep. so that's what the what footy clubs are able to provide. And and as you say, not just if for an Indigenous player, but if you feel like you have support and someone who understands your background, whatever it may be, mm. I'd imagine that feeling comfortable and safe comes absolutely with, with all of that, no matter your, your background or walk of life or your circumstances. Yep. Um. So how important, especially in this draft period, because a lot of what goes on with the draft, and we'll get you to speak about this on the other side of the break, Mm. but we hear a lot about the draft, about the questions that clubs ask of the players in the lead up to this, in the interviews, and what, um, you know, what would you do if this, what would you do in this circumstance? I'm wondering... um, and I'll get you to answer this on the other side, is do, do you do, as draftees, potential, do you get to ask questions of, well, what are you going to do about this? And what about, how would you, does that happen? <laughs> oh, look, do you want to talk about it now or after the break? We'll I'll talk about it after the break. <laughs> we'll talk about it after the break. Yep. Uh, Josh Carter's with us um, speaking, and we're going to chat on the other side about the process between now and, and getting drafted. If you've got a question, if you've got a, um, if you'd like to chime in, one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourt's open line, or you can text in on the 40 Winks Temper Tech, 0433 Consumer Choice Winner Temper Mattresses, Pillows and Adjustable Bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Uh, Darren Berry's going to join me after 9.30. We'll go through last night's triumph uh, by the Palms uh, at the ha- well uh, against Pakistan to put a nice little bow around what was an incredible T20 World Cup. Uh, in the WBBL, the Brisbane Heat have had a two-run win over the Adelaide Strikers, uh, courtesy of the Duckworth-Lewis-Stern method uh, at Karen Rolton Oval in Adelaide. Um, strikers all out for 115, six for 114, uh, in the end, for the strike, uh, I reckon that scores around the wrong way. Um, no, that's the right score. It's just with the Duckworth Lewis Stern method. Uh, it is a, as I hit refre- refresh, it is a two run win for the Brisbane Heat women. Um, Josh Carter's with us this evening. A couple of uh, weeks out from the draft, Josh, and I'd be curious to go down memory lane with you what your experience was getting drafted. Before the break, I. We spoke about um, when it comes to the fact that now with Essendon, with Dean Rioli and maybe Jody Sizer at Collingwood, and, and I know, I think there are maybe a couple of other clubs, and I'll, we'll, we'll look into that a bit more deeply, but if you're a young player or a young Indigenous player and thinking, well, where would I really like to end up where I would feel like there would be the best support network and, you know, system in place, whether it be, you know, Sean Bergwin at Port Adelaide now or the fact that Eddie Betts is down at Geelong, where do I feel like it would be the best place for me to land? And I asked you about that the club's got a lot of questions and I'd imagine you got asked a ton of them before you were drafted and we might even get you to give us some of the weirder ones. <laughs> but is there an opportunity, was there then and would you like to see now, and I wonder whether it exists now, where the clubs actually put it back to the player and say, what questions do you have of us? What requirements are you getting now? There'll be some that'll say, you'd just be bloody lucky to be there and that's, yep, all well and good. But 
I wonder, do we get the opportunity or do young players get the opportunity to say, well, here's what I would sort of like in a, in a football club. Here's what I would need to succeed. Oh, look, mate, I'll paint a quick picture for you. I didn't get any of that, so I wasn't <laughs> asked any questions, wasn't given any opportunity to ask questions. It was more, I had no idea I was getting drafted for the start of it because uh, I was finishing up my, I was graduating actually, so it was my last year of high school. Yep. I'd planned uh, a trip for schoolies or leavers to go to Rottnest Island for a few weeks with my mates after school. Mm-hmm. Uh, saved up a lot of money, worked in IGA, stacking shelves, uh, the good yes. old days, and uh, yeah, saved up some money to pay for my trip and didn't even get to enjoy that because I uh, got a phone call to say that you're going to be moving to Melbourne. And uh, I actually didn't find out about the draft because being two hours behind or three hours behind in Melbourne, uh, from Melbourne time to Perth, it was uh, the time delay was different. So I was still in bed. And, was uh, it not televised? It back- was televised, but I did not. You even weren't have, watching because you weren't. I had no interest. Didn't in it, think that you were going to be. Did not think I'd get drafted. And, so had uh, you had you had meetings with clubs? I had a few meetings with uh, with North Melbourne. Yeah, uh, I think it was Hawthorne and and the Bulldogs. They called me. Yep. But other than that, not much else. So and what did they want to know? My mindset was I didn't think I was going to get drafted. Yeah. And, uh, Actually, I was told that you're not going to get, you're not going to be drafting because you're going to be uh, too skinny to play AFL. You're going to get snapped by grown men playing in that league. <laughs> that was what I was told, and uh, yeah, that kind of motivated me to play against that team. I won't mention who they are, but uh, it, it was my motivation. So every team, every time I played against them, I made it my. Well, you might. Did the people that say that to you? Are they still at the club now? Or? Oh, I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> well, check that out because yeah, next time you're in, out. I want to know exactly who that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so how did you find out that your name had been called out? Well, everybody else in the family actually found out. So I woke up, my cousin jumped below me. So this was Ashley Sampy at the time. He was at the West Coast. He was on the list. Yeah, and um, he was cooking up the barbecue in the morning for for everybody and the family were celebrating. Yeah. I'm still fast asleep in bed, and then I get a phone call from Rocket saying, "Oh, you know, you come, you're coming to Bulldogs. You've just been drafted." And I thought it was a prank call, so I said. Uh, <laughs> No, it isn't. You know, I hung up on him because I was still <laughs> Thank half asleep. Thank you for asleep. censoring yeah, so that. Thanks, too, thanks by the for, uh, for joking with me, and uh, yeah, I kind of took it as a prank and hung up on him. And everybody else is celebrating, and they said, "Oh, you, you're going to the Bulldogs." And it took me about five hours to actually process it, and, and really, it hit me. And yeah, everybody was congratulating me, ring, ringing me up with the family, everything. So yeah, at that point, all the uh, excitement about going to schoolies was out the door because mm. it was the fact of is this real? You know, it kind of. It was a shock moment for me to realise I was actually living the dream of being drafted and going and playing in an AFL club. And, uh, yeah, even more intimidating coming into an environment where you've got Luke Darcy, Chris Grant, uh, Ackermanis, Brad Johnson, um, yeah, big-name players that you've grown up watching and then uh, you're this skinny Aboriginal kid going and trying to, trying to fit in and earn the respect of the players. Yeah. So, and, and, and this is not to... We're not um, having a crack at the Bulldogs here, but what was in place for the draftees in terms of a support structure at, at the time? Because I'd imagine what was happening there was probably happening and the way it happened was probably the way it happened at every club. Yep. So what, what, how were you looked after in, in, those, in, in, those first, in that first year? So we did have player development officers. Yep. Um, there's a fellow who actually just retired not long ago. He just left the Bulldogs. Uh, I'll get his name back. It's, it's in sure. my head. But, uh, yeah, so they had player development officers that looked after players' welfare and yep. all that. And it was kind of interesting for me because I coming over from Perth, I got put into a um, host parent's house. So they were uh, football club's members, so yep. long-time members that take in young players and, and kind of cater to them, look after them, give them a house. 
And my host parents, believe it or not, were vegans. So, and I loved my meat. So, <laughs> and, and they actually owned a chain of IGA stores. So I was kind of going home to training, from training to home to an empty house, and having no one to talk to, a, house, a fridge full of vegetables and, and fruits. <laughs> yeah, probably the healthiest I've ever been. But I actually had to put on weight. At yeah, the time I was going to say you were told that you were too skinny. Um, yeah. What so was your weight when you got drafted? Seventy-two. Seventy-two. I was a stick figure. Yeah. Person. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I was probably the only player on the list to get told to go and eat junk food just to put some weight. Really? On. I had that high of a metabolism that I was burning fat as I was putting putting on weight. So yeah, yeah it was it was kind of tough for the first two years, but. Eventually, put on a bit of weight, and uh, yeah, still. So that's to, that's one uh, of the that's yeah. one of the interesting, unique draft stories that yep. you were told to go eat junk food. Yep. Josh Hunt was told that he wasn't allowed to go in the gym when he the, the year he arrived at Geelong because wow. he was already like as built as the, as the big brick as yeah. yeah. Yep. So he was told, no, no, no gym for you. <laughs> go and run. Well, I wish I got told that. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So, and in those early days, um, how? How big a hand does the club have in your day-to-day life? Well, it was basically at that point you'd sign a contract, 100% of your commitment is to the club. So you could be out for dinner with your partner or with family members and as soon as you get a text message say there's an urgent message or a meeting at the club, you've got to drop everything and get back there. Right. And that was the way it was. We were all given uh, schedules, timesheets to what the week would look like. And you've got to run by that. And uh, it were tough times, but if anything, it, it helped me to become a stronger mindset player and, and a leader in my own way because of the challenges I was given. Yeah. But it helped me to be a bit more easier with uh, with time management because I was late to a meeting one time, five minutes late, and Rocket gave me a rocket, obviously, as he does, mm. and made me do a boxing session in St Kilda for a week and uh, at 6 a.m. and then joined the rest of the team to top up with the rest of the training. So uh, I learned pretty quickly not to be late to a meeting after that, that's for sure. Um, it, was it Will Minson areas? Or it was that... Will Minson areas. And oh, I wow. And I think I copped most of the spray for Will. So uh, I, was, <laughs> I was actually, there was three whipping boys. It was Will Minson, Brian Lake and myself. So, yeah. <laughs> I copped most of it because I picked the worst sick to, to choose in the meeting room and that was right in front of Brian Lake. Yeah. Well, Brian Harris back in those <laughs> yeah. days. Yes. Um, did you ever feel... Um, because in, in normal working life, like if, if I need to take time off, there's annual leave and there's um, sick leave and there's things like that. Yep. In, in that day, and you were drafted in 07, was, was there that kind of facility that if you had to go and do something away, if you needed time away, that it was able, you were poss- able to take time away? Because as you said, your, your commitment is 100% to the football club and everything else falls mm. by the wayside. Yeah, look, it... it I'll be honest, at that time, in my, well, starting off at the club, I was kind of too scared to be sick because I, I was like, it was like you were, you were taking a step back in terms of right. running the respect of your coaches and your players because you want to work to drive to get noticed by the coaches but also every training session. For the right like, reasons, yeah. yeah. Every, every training session is like a moment where you prove to your teammates that you deserve to be out there. So if you get sick or you've got to go away for personal reasons, that's like... Uh, a huge step backwards, you know, in terms of really? losing that respect of your players. That was just my mindset. Whereas now these days you, you can speak more freely, more open about your personal yeah. sort of things. But back then I was too intimidated because of the people around me and, and the way Rocket went about his business, which is good because it helped me, challenge me more to become a, a stronger mindset player. So with that in mind, then if you were, if, 
if you were, could be in a room right now with a potential draftee, but also with the people at the club that are going to draft that person and whether or not it's just a, a young, if it's a young player, a young Indigenous player, mm. what would your advice be to the draftee and what's your advice to the club when well, it comes to, because you, you've got yep. this, asset, you've got this, mm. you know, infant career in your hand. Yep. Look, first thing for the player is focus on education. That's the first thing is make sure you graduate, uh, put your school first, focus on sports second. And then after that, the questions obviously be asked for, from players to, to the football club is what can you do in terms of supporting me off field? And as I touched on before is that if you can support a player's mindset off field away yep. from the club, you're going to get the best results on field. Mm. And the same question will be from the, the club to the players. You know, what can we do to cater for you in terms of getting the right um, benefits out of you as a player? And what, are we, what can we do to support you mentally and physically in a way? Because a lot of players, they get obviously assessed on their injuries or previous issues with their bodies. So that's, that's a huge one as well is, is body, um, where they're at physically but also mentally is the, the, the main one, is that if a player loses that mindset and doesn't want to be there, that's where you see players go off the rails. They, they tend to, to fall away and, and not tend to love the game as much as they used to. So you tied yourself up in not thinking that you, you shouldn't and couldn't yep. say anything yes. at any time. At any Don't, time. Just, just Intimidation just took over everything. I was yeah. too scared and too worried about if I missed a training session, if I missed a meeting, that's my moment of being dropped. And once – because it was, it was like that and it still is like that, that you've got 43 players on a list, 22 get selected each week. If you have a bad game or you have a bad training session, a young player's busting his ass off at training sessions, trying to prove himself to the coaches, mm. to the players that he deserves to be in that spot. And that's the way I saw it is that if I was – if I made it in the team, that was the easy part. The hard part is staying in, in the side. And that's the way I think it should be looked at these days. You've got all these players now that have so much talent, so much potential, but there are also young players that just have so much potential as well that are fighting for that selection on, on the team. So for the young player, be conscious of not feel. you know, don't don't allow yourself to be in a space where you don't feel like you can speak ever. Oh, you've got to be vocal. Yeah, yep. speak up if you're not feeling mm-hmm. 100% and if it's not, if you're not feeling comfortable and if you're, if you're, if it's not quite, you know, mm. making sense to you or, and then for the clubs, be aware that that could be the player's experience that's yep. happening right in front of you. Um, it's good advice yeah. from both sides. I actually remember... Uh, Adam Simpson said about me once uh, a game that I play better when I'm on edge which is right because if I'm feeling challenged you get the best performance out of me mm. and for this day you know young players you, you should never feel on edge you should go out there playing with the, the healthiest mindset to know that you, yep. you're playing for your team you know you play your role you do the team things first and you're going to get the best results and you, you'll get the win whereas every individual shouldn't go out there playing on edge thinking mm. that I'm, I'm playing for my spot on the game, on, on the team. It's probably an area that the game's really improved, hasn't it? Because the embracing of the role player. Like, yeah. the role player is now so celebrated internally. Yep. Um, and probably for a lot of clubs has been for a while. But but it is now common mm. in the vernacular that the role player is as popular with the fan as it is with the, the footballing yeah. um, in a circle. Because they, they do all the things that are required and, and those harder things, the 1% things, the, the chase down tackle things. They've become 
those things have become as celebrated as a hanger or a banana from the boundary. You know, if you can, like he's sure smother, he laughs it off yeah. going, oh, geez, I can't believe I'm known for a smother. <laughs> but that moment for mm. Collingwood fans yeah. is like worshipped. Mm. So um, it's great of us. Hey, mate, it's been great to, to catch up with you again. We'll do it all again very soon. Uh, appreciate you coming in. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, Josh Carter, uh, sen.com.au to hear the full chat. Uh, you can call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Of course, if you wanted to pick up on any of the topics that uh, Josh has been chatting about, you can text in 0433981116 on the 40 Winks temper text. Uh, when we come back, Darren Berry. We're going to talk all things... T20 World Cup. England over Pakistan last night, 80,000 people at the MCG, and what a tournament it was. It has been a privilege to bring it to you on SEN as well. This is the Sporting Capital on SEN. Perhaps the final moment of a thrilling month of crickets. Ben Stokes, ever-present, faces up. He swings across the line and hits the winning run. Ben Stokes waves his bat in jubilation to 80,000 at the MCG. And England stands as the dominant force in white ball crickets. They win the T20 World Cup. Go and get the ball, Jared. still alive. And add it to the 50-over title. A triumph 30 years in the making on this ground for England. Uh, Well, what a phenomenal ICC Men's T20 World Cup it was. It was an absolute thrill to have called the games that we're able to and be the uh, the radio broadcaster and the World Feed broadcaster on SEN. And what a a fitting um, finale it was last night, albeit low scoring, but England... Getting the win, um, they were a lot of people's favourites coming into the tournament. For many, Pakistan, uh, just a phenomenal effort to get to the final after losing their first two games. England only losing one game on their way to becoming just one of two countries to have won two T20 World Cups. Uh, A man that was there uh, when it mattered most, as he always was throughout the tournament, was uh, my partner in crime, uh, Darren Chuckberry. Uh, Chuckleberry Finn, hello. Good evening to you, Sammy. Yeah, it was a big occasion, and we've got to dip our hat to our, uh, our what do we call them, our uh, opposition, our counterparts. The English now hold the 50-over World Cup and the T- uh, T20 World Cup, so we must dip our hats, and uh, we'll go and knock them off in the ashes next summer. Well, I want to ask you why you think that is, that they are the dominant force in white ball cricket especially right now. But what did you make of that game uh, last night? I heard you in the commentary and I ducked my head in uh, for a little bit just to see the A-team in action. And um, you were pointing to the fact that England were probably lucky to get away with restricting Pakistan in the way that they did earlier in Pakistan's innings. But it always felt like that total wasn't going to be enough for Pakistan. Yeah, that's a fair call. I said at the start of the match that I, I felt England was the best batting team and certainly had the, the longest batting list. So they needed a big score, Pakistan. Uh, up against Pakistan, who I believe are the best bowling side in T20 at the moment, they've got four outstanding quicks and two quality spinners. I thought 150-160 would have made a real game of it, uh, but unfortunately 137 was under par and that proved to be the case. Albeit, Pakistan, at times throughout those innings, they had their opportunities. They opened the door. Uh, they, they actually missed running out Stokes, which was a pretty big moment in the match for me. 
And then right at the end, when it was probably the last roll with the dice, sadly, Shaheen Shahafridi, who'd taken a good catch, and he was their trump card with the ball. He had to leave the field injured, and that was probably like the final nail, I think. And and England got the job done, and again, that man Stokes. It wasn't wasn't pretty last night, Sammy, but he got the job done again. Yeah, it, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, the talk all day has been about, and Jared called it another legacy piece for him. And, you know, we remember what he did uh, in the Ashes to break Australian hearts. And, and, you know, he was the difference really um, in the... Well, he was one of the differences in the results going England's way in the one-day International World Cup. But special players, Chuck, seem to find a way, don't they? You've played with some of the very best that have ever done it. You've coached uh, all around the world and seen some of the very best. But the very best in the biggest moments, find a way to have the biggest impact. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great call. And, and my late great friend um, in Shane Warne, that was, he, that was his mantra. He used to always say, you've got to find a way. And he was probably the one that taught me about that 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 method, if you like, and, and he stood up more than most. Well, Ben Stokes, as you said, has done it. That innings he played against Australia to rip our hearts out in the ashes. I, I remember staying up late to watch that, and I thought that is an unbelievable innings. He was there in the 50-over final in those uh, really tight, controversial finish, and you know he was there last night, uh, not out, unbeaten, hit the winning runs. So it is a pretty big legacy for for Ben Stokes to to live, and uh, full credit to him and full credit to the England team for what they've done. You mentioned when Shaheen Shahafridi went off and then they had to change the way that they finished out um, their their overs bowling-wise, Pakistan defending that small total. And it seemed like they were making a really good fist of it uh, up until that point, defending that 137. But when he couldn't bowl his overs, it didn't quite go the way that Wazim would have liked and um, they just weren't able to restrict because they were well ahead of where they needed to be, Pakistan. They'd done a really good job of turning the screws and putting the handbrake on the England innings. But that was pivotal in that it all sort of just felt like it was too hard when he went down. 100%. Shadat Shad- Khan and um, uh, Nassim Shah bowled, he bowled a couple of outstanding overs of pace and swung the ball even late. Shattered Khan restricted. Um, Hobart Hurricanes number one pick. Just sort of slipped that in there for you, Sammy. Um, but then you're right. When Shaheen went off, they had to go to the off spinner of Iftikhar Ahmed, a bit of a part time offbeat. And Stokes sensed the moment. He went six four off the last two balls. Uh, you know, ten off those last two balls of that over. And then the youngster came back in. Um, was him, and he didn't quite get it right. So it was a telling blow. I think the Stokes running out miss earlier in the evening was also important. But the bottom line is Pakistan were 20 runs short of being competitive, uh, and I think their batting was fragile right throughout the tournament. If Baba and Rizwan didn't get it done, Shan Masood was the only other one that showed any spirit last night. So, Chuck, just two more questions from me. Um, why is it? in your mind, that England are the preeminent force um, in white ball cricket. India, we think, will always be and should always be, but they seem to falter at the final hurdle and have done in T20 World Cricket since they won the first ICC Men's T20 World Cup. They've actually been perennial underperformers given how much talent they have in their lineup. Why is it that England are the best in the world in the short form of the game right now, in your mind? 
Yeah, well, uh, there's a couple of things, I think, to sort of, to a couple of layers to it. They pick a team that play fearless cricket in this in the white ball 50 in one day cricket. They have a mantra to bat deep. Uh, and the luxury of that is they have Joss Butler at the top of the order, who's the wicket keeper. So that gives you the ability to play another all-rounder type. And when you've got someone like Stokes in your side as a genuine all-rounder, as well as Wokes and Curran down at sort of eight and nine, and they're both capable with the bat. Chris Jordan was listed at bat at number 10. So they've got a lot of all-rounders that are capable with the bat and the ball. So if we sort of reflected on that from an Australian point of view, we need Mitch Marsh and Marcus Stoinis to to be those type of players and add another one or two to match them. Um, they've split the coaches, which is an interesting debate. You and I have had this before, and I thought it was a good idea. And then I thought, no, I reckon it's hard with two masters. But it appears Brendan McCullum and Matthew Mott are absolutely on the same page. Even though Mott's the white ball coach and McCullum's the red ball coach, there's a real flair with the way they're playing at the moment. They'll come unstuck, uh, Sammy, on a few occasions because the all-or-nothing theory will bomb out. But it's certainly exciting in the white ball format. There's a couple of things why I think they're really good. And just overall... The, the the World Cup itself, I mean, it was just wonderful to have it in Australia. A lot of the great joy I had was watching the developing nations coming through and having some of the performances that they did, some of the upsets. You know, the Netherlands beating South Africa, Ireland beating England. Um, the, and, and there was a couple of others as well that were phenomenal. I think Namibia beating Sri Lanka early on. And, and those were just incredible to witness, having almost, you know, having over 90,000 people at the MCG for India and Pakistan, people that were there will never forget that. Um, so apart from Australia's really disappointing performance, it was uh, an out-and-out success of an event. Um, what did you take away from it? What stood out for you from this World Cup? Yeah, I agree with your sentiments wholeheartedly there. I think it was fantastic. Sure, the weather wasn't kind and we're all still suffering from that. Even down where I live, we've had a horror night down East Sammy on the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, so the rain hasn't been good in the southern states. Uh, however, you, you mentioned it, uh, some really good upsets, I think, and in T20 cricket, the, the minnows or the, the lesser lights have have caused some upsets and some players like Josh Little from Ireland is someone to keep an eye on. Left arm quick is exciting. Sikandar Raza is an experienced player, you know, of Pakistan heritage, but obviously led Zimbabwe strongly. So there was a lot of highlights outside the main uh, the main things. And then Netherlands beating South Africa was a real shock that allowed Pakistan to sneak through the back door into the final. So overall, I think it was a great success and... I've got to say, Sam, that I'll never forget the night that I was lucky enough to be there with Jared, and we called India Pakistan in front of you know almost ninety thousand people at the MCG. The noise was like nothing I'd ever heard before. So I feel privileged to be part of the SEN commentary team. Um, I felt we as a group, the whole whole lot of us on on air, and all the people behind the scenes to do a lot of work to put this to air. We've got some fantastic feedback, so well done to everyone at SEN. Uh, well done to the ICC, a great tournament. And then ultimately, Sammy, we've got to take our hats off to England, which is hard to do. Yes, Chuck, will do it through gritted teeth, um, but it does make us feel just a little bit better that to do it, they needed at least three Australian coaches, Matthew Mott, uh, David Saker and Mike Hussey, uh, all in the coaching fraternity. Uh, love your work, Chuckleberry. Um, 
And don't forget SEN's coverage of the one-day international series between Australia and England starts this Thursday. We are covering every single one of those games. Uh, starts on Thursday, Australia, England from the Adelaide Oval. Uh, 2.20pm start that one on the SEN app. And then the two days later from the SCG, Australia and England. And then the final game of that three-match series is Tuesday next week. Uh, Check your SEN guide. And uh, as always, you'll be able to hear everything on the SEN app. Uh, Back to just clean up the top of the hour on the other side of this. Uh, Just a couple off the 40 Wings temper text. Uh, Evening, could you tell Darren how good it was watching the T20 World Cup? And even though I'm an Aussie and bitterly disappointed of how they performed and more alarming was the lack of spark, urgency and disinterest. Anyway, I'd just like to thank England, Pakistan and India for a great few weeks and the atmosphere and harmony of all supporters was electric and I already miss it. Finally, I just hope Australia took note of how to perform admirably on home soil. Thanks. That's from Billy. Uh, And then uh, our good friend Mario in Maslin Beach. Chuck Berry's a genius. His T20 predictions were spot on. Chuck Stradamus and Hot Dogs Hargroves. I don't know where that one comes from, Mario. Uh, The best combination in sporting commentary. There you go. I didn't read the second part. I've just read it out loud. Oh, that might be some votes for me. I don't often get votes in the third person self-congratulator on a Saturday. That that could be a couple. I oh, don't go and cut it up, Lincoln, straight away. Look, at, I am in off the record a lot. Yeah, that's true. I am in off the record a lot. Um, 043 Winks temper text. Consumer choice winner temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Uh, on the other side of this, apologies for uh, pretty quick uh, ad breaks in succession. But when we come back uh, on the other side of this, we're going to talk some NBA. Uh, Sam Vecini, if you don't know the name, one of the senior writers for The Athletic. He is an NBA and NBA draft guru. Um, he keeps a very, very close eye on all the goings-on. So we'll get his early impressions of how the season's shaping up in this year's NBA. If you've got a hero or a villain nomination, get those coming through. one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts. This is the sporting capital. Uh, coming up this hour, the latest on the Brownlow betting scandal. Uh, Taliqua Clancy, Australian Beach Volleyball superstar, Sam Bassini, NBA expert and NFL journalist Bobby Thompson. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Final hour to spend with you and looking forward to doing so. Uh, your calls, if you've got a hero or a villain from the weekend in sport, one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. You'll move your Harcourts for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts for all things sports. Speak to me. 40 Wings Temper Text, Consumer Choice Winner, Temper Mattresses, Pillows and Adjustable Bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. 0433 um, The Herald Sun have been right across... Uh, the story all day that's, I think, stunned the football world, and that is uh, the fact that um, earlier today the uh, AFL had to release a statement saying that they'd been made aware of some irregularities in betting after the Brownlow, uh, 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 sort of after after the season had finished in regards to the Brownlow medal with betting on particular games and and in those games who would get the three votes um the herald sun and the age has um by the sports corruption uh police in um by sports corruption cops uh, as it's uh, been written here 
uh, in a Brownlow Medal Votes Leaks investigation. So Herald Sun believe the inquiry, which is entangled, uh, relates to allegations of betting on votes from multiple rounds this season, his first officiating full matches uh, in the AFL. So he was one of four men that were arrested this morning uh, by uh, detectives from the Victoria Police Sporting Integrity Intelligence Unit. Um, he's been interviewed um, in relation to allegations that he engaged in, contact, uh, in conduct that corrupts or would corrupt a betting outcome. Now, the maximum um, for the alleged offending is 10 years of imprisonment. So he, along with three others, were arrested and questioned. Uh, all the men have been released. Uh, three of those arrested expect to be... Uh, uh, we're expecting... Three of those arrested expected to be charged on summons, a Victoria Police statement has said. So that is a, a massive story and, and one that uh, I'd imagine would have the uh, umpiring fraternity um, horrified and the AFL um, the same and more. Um, coming up, uh, as I mentioned, a little later on in the hour, Taliqa Clancy, uh, beach volleyball superstar, ahead of the Beach Volley Fest happening down in Torquay, um, starting on the 23rd of November. Uh, NFL journalist Bobby Thompson will be with us as well. But first, I thought we'd speak uh, some NBA. Uh, incredible day in the NBA today, especially from an Australian point of view. Had some phenomenal performances from our Aussies, some not so phenomenal. But just at this early part of the season, I wanted to get a gauge from a man who knows the competition as well as anybody on where he thinks the season's at at the moment, get a view on some of our Aussies and how they're performing, and even uh, some of the stars that are still yet to come through the ranks. And there's no better, to speak, no better person to speak to about any of that uh, than Sam Vecini, a senior writer at The Athletic uh, on NBA, NBA Draft. He hosts the Game Theory podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini, V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And the good news for me is that he's actually based in Australia, so the time zones don't clash. Uh, he's been good enough to give us some time again. Sam, hello again, mate. I was based in Mel, or I am based in Melbourne. Really worked out last night because I got to head down to the T20 uh, World Cup, which was great. My first ever cricket match in person. It was fantastic. Hang on a minute. So I was actually there last night. If I had a known, we could have caught up. Oh, um, that would have made. I don't know whether that would have made your night better or worse. But um, <laughs> so you're so you're telling me that the first ever live game of cricket that you've gone to is the yeah. World Cup final. That's right. Yeah, no, it was funny. My wife and I got tickets to the Australia-England game that got rained out. We were planning on doing that as my first game. But when that got cancelled, we decided to do the just World Cup final. And to be honest, we were really hoping for Pakistan and India, uh, oh, especially yeah. once the semifinals occurred. I mean, the atmosphere there in that game, it just looked absolutely incredible uh, during the opening rounds. But uh, I mean, even England, Pakistan, the Pakistani fans were unbelievable last night. They were so amazing to just like kind of sit in their section and be a part of it. It was incredible. Uh, Sam, here's a question because I've been speaking about this for the last couple of weeks. Give me, tell me who the closest either fan base for a team or a sporting fan base is to what the Indian, Pakistan, uh, Sri Lanka, I think Zimbabwean, <laughs> who are just they adore so it is just love like no matter what the team does yeah. no matter what the players do they just worship them they they love them um they are so positive around everything they do you would have seen in the india pakistan game virat kohli the, the best player for india he would field a ground ball and, and and nothing had actually happened but he'd get this almighty cheer and roar from the crowd is there a, a fan base or a sport that has similar kinds of uh, fan uh, worship I, I honestly don't think so. 
like you saw it last night when Shaheen Shah Afridi came back onto the field, uh, just the field even, yeah. uh, after going down the tunnel. I mean, the the way that the Pakistani fans erupted was just incredible. It was something to behold, right? Uh, and then obviously he gets hurt and you just you know can't. He, he bowls one ball and he just has to come off because it feels like he's actually seriously injured. And the fact that he even tried to bowl again after that injury, taking the wicket was just, it was remarkable in so many ways, but uh, you just felt that sadness come over the crowd and it just completely yeah. changed the game in such a drastic way. Um, it was disappointing, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything like it. it the, the sheer love. It's such a positivity. It, it's all Isn't based it? in such positivity. Do, have you, cause uh, um, this is incredible. <laughs> We're speaking to, by the way, NBA and NBA draft expert Sam Pasini, who's now our number one cricket correspondent as well. Yeah. Um, it, I was lamenting it last week because I feel like there, it may be from an Australian sporting point of view, it's not everybody, and there were people that got a little bit offended, but there is a bit of cynicism that has sort of crept in and there's some negativity towards our team that creep in. Is it the same in the US that... that Yes, you barrack for that team, but, do you, do you, you know, if you were looking at it on the scales, how much time do you spend negging your side um, and how much time do you spend building up your side and just being in the moment of loving your side? Do you Is that a pretty common thing in the US as well? It's definitely a common thing. I mean, Sam, we were talking before this, like, you're a New York Jets fan. I mean, New York Jets <laughs> fans are built to feel terrible about themselves <laughs> like the, that's the entirety of their existence at this point yeah. because of, of from the mark sanchez era to you know yeah. years upon years back and everything that's happened in between right it, it, it just kind of is what it is it's funny you know and we can transition to basketball this way i will say that like one purely positive fan base that i think exists right now is the oklahoma city thunder fan base that this team is just like so engaged positively with the way that Sam Presti and the goodwill that he's built through his uh, through his tenure in Oklahoma City as the mm. president of basketball operations, knowing that he is as intelligent and as smart as he is when it comes to rebuilding a team, uh, he has built that trust level. And I think that when you watch Thunder games, when you interact with Thunder fans, it's purely positive. Like there's no, there's no real, there's concern, obviously, like, you know, is Josh Giddy going to turn out to be an all-star? Is Alexei Pokashevsky going to be anything? Mm. Is, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander going to leave? Like they're, everyone has those concerns, but I think that Thunder fans are feeling very positive despite the fact that, you know, by the end of the year, they're probably going to end up winning like, you know, 25 to 30 games. Well, it's a great segue, by the way. Um, but just before we speak about Josh Giddy and his incredible performance and history-making performance today, speaking to his father Warwick and 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 even when you hear Josh speak and any of the Oklahoma City Thunder guys, what I think is really smart is that the ownership and management have have been really clear with what the plan is to these guys. They've sold them the vision. And they have all bought in to this point. They have all bought in to what they're trying to do. This is a franchise that's gone down the road of having, you know, the the A-listers, you know, and it didn't quite. I mean, at one point, as we know, they had Durant, Westbrook and Harden 
uh, on the same yep. uh, on the same floor at the same time, and they still couldn't get a title. So they've gone down the let's just get the big name and uh, and and let's just have these A listers. There they're trying to build it from the ground up, and it seems like everybody buys in. Um, Josh Giddy today. No one's done what he did, having two triple doubles in his first two games at the Garden. No one's done it in, uh, for about fifty years. Wilt Chamberlain, just a, I don't know if you've heard of him, Sam. Um, Wilt Chamberlain, decent player. Yeah, he went okay from what I hear. <laughs> He's the last guy to ever do that. Extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, look, Josh is—he uh, does feel like one of those guys that rises to the moment, right? Like, like I remember. Look, I wasn't over here by this point, I don't think, but um, I remember watching the tape of him for his Victorian team, like hitting a game winner, I, I think like in the state competition or something like that. And you were just like, Oh God, this guy just has it. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever quote unquote it is like, he's <laughs> got it. He always just rises to that occasion. And it feels like Madison square garden is an, it's an event that every young player looks forward to. And Josh in his first couple of games at Madison square garden, it, it, he's just figured it out on some real substantial stage. And I don't know, man, like I, I have my concerns about Josh's skill level in terms of like his shooting, right. And whether or not that will allow him to be like a superstar. Cause to be like a superstar in the NBA, you have to be able to create your own shot and to make your own shot period. But everything else that that dude does on the court, like I am a believer, like that guy just makes his teammates better through yes. his sheer presence on the court. And I, I think that today was yet another example of that in New York. Joel Embiid um, didn't want to be outdone. Uh, in fact, there was two 50-point games today. We probably don't have enough time to go through all of them, although the Cleveland Cavaliers are having a great year. But Joel Embiid, speaking of Wilt Chamberlain, that's the other. So so Josh Giddy's getting the stat line uh, since Wilt Chamberlain. Joel Embiid's getting the comparison to Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, had over 50 points today. Not a triple-double. I think he had seven blocks and um, 11 rebounds, uh, bulk assists. He's having a, an MVP caliber year again. Well, it's interesting. Like, I feel like he's he's turned the corner. Early in the season, it felt like he was kind of working himself into shape, right? He was a, a little bit slow. It felt like he was dealing with a foot injury, I guess, is what uh, the 76ers have since said. But... You know, over the course of the last two games, I mean, God, I think he had 40 points uh, in the Sixers' previous game. And then what he did today was unbelievable. That fourth quarter, he had five blocks in the fourth quarter. I think he had eight assists in the game. He obviously had 59 points. He, that 76ers team is, I don't want to say it's a mess, but like it's a bit fraught. It feels like Doc Rivers is perpetually on the hot seat at the moment yep. with the fans. Yet another fan base that uh, <laughs> is constantly tragic uh, to think of, uh, you know, what we started this conversation speaking about. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it feels like they weren't getting the best out of the team for a while, and it still feels like Doc Rivers doesn't always get the best out of that team. But Joel Embiid's just going to put them on his back. That's all that matters. And then you have Tyrese Maxey, who is making a star turn this year just with his athleticism and his energy and his ability to create transition opportunities. And then James Harden, you know, the burden is off James Harden, and he can just do what he does best, run ball screens, make plays for others, get to the foul line, make threes. Uh, you know, they're going to need to figure out some things defensively at some point because uh, up until the last couple of games, it's been a bit of an adventure out there with how Joel's footwork and his mobility has been compromised with the foot injury. 
But as long as they can figure out an answer defensively, I think this team's going to be right there at the end, and Joel Embiid is likely going to be right there in the MVP race at the end. Uh, and just in the standings at the moment, they sit six, but you feel like they're starting to get it together. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Hawks, the Cavs, the Wizards have, have had a, a good year, but it's a bit wizardy, isn't it? They tend to start well and then fade away. Uh, so that's a top six in the East. And then uh, the Trailblazers, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Jazz, the Grizzlies, and the Mavericks, top six in the West. Um, just combining the two sides of, of the draw, San Vicini, who have been the best Who've been the best watch this year for you? Like, whose basketball has been competition Ooh. best basketball that you've enjoyed most? They might not be, uh, you know, at the top of the table yet, but it's just that's the bet. You like uh, that's it there. That's it. Look, I've probably enjoyed watching the Cavs the most this year, but I, I think the most impressive team's probably been Boston. Uh, j- just Jason Tatum, I think would be in the top three of any MVP vote right now, along with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic. His shot creation, his defensive ability, uh, his the game is slowing down for him in the mid-range mm. in such a substantial way now, where he has like a little floater, which is something that he never really had before. It used to always be like a stop-and-pop kind of game for him. Yeah, no, I mean, the way that Tatum has made the turn, the way that Jalen Brown has looked this year, their defense is going to be there at the end for sure. Uh, and the transition from Ime Yudoka to Joe Mazzulla as head coach has gone perfectly. Uh, they're taking a ton of threes. I think they have really good structures and processes on offense that uh, – make them look even better and more dangerous than what they did a year ago. So I would probably take Boston in terms of like the team that has looked best, but you know, Milwaukee has been without Chris Middleton and they're going to get a huge boost when he gets back. And Cleveland is going to keep getting better and better as Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley get more time and experience playing together after that addition of Mitchell in the off season. Uh, yeah, I think the East is just an absolute buzzsaw this year. So I'm I'm really excited to see where that side of it kind of settles at the end of the day. And for the biggest disappointments of the year, I'll give you some nominations. And 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 and, if, and you can go outside the nominations, by the way, uh, if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, we are speaking to Sam Vecini, who's the the senior writer at the Athletic NBA NBA Draft, hosts the Game Theory podcast as well. Um, so here's the nominations: the Brooklyn Nets in the East. Um, and the Miami Heat, who sit 10th in the East at the moment. And then the biggest disappointments um, in the West, I'll throw up, obviously, the LA Lakers, but the Golden State Warriors, the reigning champions, are 5-8 and eight as well. So there's your four nominees. Give me one from each conference. So I, I think that you can't really go past the Nets, given how big of a mess they've been. Uh, just like on and off the court uh, between Kyrie and then firing Steve Nash and just uh, all of the many things that seem to be occurring in Brooklyn on a day-to-day basis. It, it's remarkable, right? Um, it is. And, and um, I love Steve Nash. Uh, it, 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 it angered me to see the way that he had been treated because I, I look, you might be able to tell better than I, and and you clearly would, but, what what had I mean? Are we surely we're not blaming the hot messages and nets on Steve Nash when you've got two Look, players like, who think that they're GMs in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Like what he's up against it from day one. I I just think that we have no idea uh, if he's a good coach or not. Sure. After that, yeah. right? Like he might be a really good coach and he just ran into a disaster situation, or he might not be able to coach and he couldn't you know figure out a way to get 
uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving uh, together and couldn't figure out a way to structure a remotely competent defensive uh, game plan because they are absolutely abhorrent defensively. Yeah. Uh, it is an embarrassment to watch them try and defend. And, and that was they, they've the, been better under Jacques Vaughn, though. So that, that, that's that, a real testament to Jacques, I think. And Sam, that was one of the reasons they wanted Ben Simmons. But, you know, one thing I do agree with Kyrie Irving on is he hasn't played for two years. So I, I'm conscious of that. But what? how do you solve a problem like Ben Simmons at the moment? He still doesn't want to shoot. Um, he is providing and distributing. Has he done the work on the defensive end that you would have liked to see? He still looks a little lethargic um, out there. Didn't play against the Lakers in, in the loss today, um, but wasn't great in the comeback in, in the game previous. What are you making of the whole Ben Simmons situation? He doesn't look great. Like Let's just be real about it, right? Yeah. Like He does not look great right now at all. Uh he again he has taken a long time off and it always takes guys a bit of time to get back into game shape and to remember what all of those motions are like what happens when especially when you're a defender when someone especially defending primary uh scorers like Ben Simmons does like how do you defend those guys it, it takes real time to bring that back that muscle memory almost uh Ben has always been an incredible processor of basketball, right? His passing, just his feel for the game has always been super, super high level. And there's something just slightly off there right now. I think he'll get it back. It's just, is it is it enough at this point to justify his, you know, $36 million a year or whatever? It's not. And is it enough to swing the Brooklyn Nets season from – what has been abject disaster to the playoffs. I think it's probably not uh, given what we've seen so far. Uh, Sam, where, where do you see, how do you see the Kyrie situation finishing or playing out? Um, LeBron James is now calling for him to be able to come back and play again. The Nets are saying, no, there's still things he needs to do um, on the list of things we've given him to do to get back that he hasn't done. So they're not going to budge. How do you see it playing out? You could go find a random person over in the SEN office uh, who has no idea who Kyrie Irving is and ask them about this situation and they would be able to give you just as good of a guess as me. Yep. Right? Like that that's it feels like every single option is on the table with Kyrie, right? Uh, and it always is with Kyrie Irving. That's who he is as a individual. And it's unfortunate, obviously. Uh, you know. What he did, you know, people can say he's not anti-Semitic, but unfortunately he hurt a lot of people. Yeah. He did uh, what he did sharing that uh, Amazon link to a video that is anti-Semitic. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an incredible disappointment for a guy that's just an unbelievable talent. Yeah. Uh, he, he is unequivocally a Hall of Fame caliber player. It's just that um, at some point he needs to figure out that it's not just talent, it's leadership, it's taking accountability, which is something specifically that uh, it took him an awful long time to do uh, within this entire situation with him sharing this video. So uh, I I have no idea when we'll see him back. I would imagine we'll probably see him back at some point, but uh, you know, will it be for the Nets? Will it be for someone else? Who knows, right? 
Uh, Sam, we, we're, we're probably running uh, short of time. Love catching up with you. Um, but I want to ask you because it's, a, it, you, it's always an educational experience too when it comes to you because you are the greatest identifier and, and, and the most knowledgeable person to speak to when it comes to up-and-coming talent. Who are the stars that are coming through the various systems all around the world? When we speak to you next time, we'll, we'll speak more about the Aussie performances this year from our Australian players yeah. who are in the NBA. But for those who do not know the name... Tyrese Proctor. Um, tell tell us why we need to know who this young man is and what we think he could be. Yeah, so Tyrese is a kid that you know came up in the Australian developmental system and decided to go the collegiate route, and he is attending Duke now. He is Duke's starting point guard, essentially. I hear uh, that's a decent Jeremy school. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, right? Pretty good school. Uh, you know, Tyrese is a guy that I kind of thought would be a two-year player at Duke coming into the year, but I, I started to hear from scouts that A, Duke's staff is really, really excited about him and think he looks absolutely terrific, and B, scouts that had been down there thought he looked really, really terrific. Uh, early on, it's been a bit of a slog for him in mm. terms of scoring and shooting the basketball, but the things that he's best at are actually kind of similar to Dyson Daniels. He is a really high level distributor out of ball screens and he is a really good defender. Now the difference between him and Dyson is that he's like six foot four and a half, six foot five and Dyson is six foot seven and a half, six foot eight. And that's going to be a real substantial differentiator in terms of uh, their long-term upside. But Tyrese is a really good playmaker. He has great positional size for the point guard position. He's a really good defender, and he's a developing shooter. And I would anticipate that, you know, he is a big part of whatever Duke becomes this year. They're dealing with some injuries right now to a couple of other really high-level freshmen and Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively. But, you know, this has given Tyrese every opportunity to, you know, be able to establish himself in that starting lineup. And uh, I think there's a real chance that he ends up being Australia's next first round pick in the NBA draft here coming up in 2023. So you were having a pretty good run of the old first round picks, especially top tens uh, at the moment. That would right. be three in a row by my count with Josh Giddy, Dyson Daniels, and now we'll keep an eye on Therese Proctor. Sam Vecini, you're so generous with your time, mate. Love catching up with you. Thank you so much. We'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. The Great Ocean Road Beach Volley Fest. Cannot wait for this. It's going to be in Torquay, 23rd of November to the 4th of December. The world's best beach volleyball is all descending on Torquay. The Great Ocean Road Beach Volley Fest, it's going to be 11 days. It's going to feature the uh, Volleyball World Beach Pro Tour Challenge, the Volleyball World Beach Pro Tour Elite 16, the Australian Beach Volleyball Tour. For many, many reasons, you need to get down to experience this magnificent event. It's going to be the first of several international calibre, massive beach volleyball events that are coming uh, to Victoria and Australia. One of the many reasons you should be getting there, though, is because one of our women's teams, one of the best in the world. Since getting together in 2017, um, Maria Fay, uh, Atacho Del Salar, who we spoke to on the show last week, and Taliqua Clancy um, have just been in a magnificent vein of form. Uh, silver uh, at the Tokyo Olympics, Com Game Silver. It's their second Com Game Silver, uh, winning tournaments here, there, and everywhere, and will be one of the star attractions of Beach Volley Fest. And Talika has been good enough to jump on the line with me. Talika, hello to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a nice little introduction. Well, hey, listen, you Still- you you put the resume together. I just read it. That's that's all that's <laughs> happening there. 
Um, you guys have been had a fantastic year. Um, how have you seen it from your point of view? Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been really great. It just feels like you know Maria Fay and I just keep getting stronger and stronger. Um, you know, this year also is important just to find that mental emotional reset for us. But so we're in our preseason phase now. Um, but Torquay is one highlight for us before we start Olympic qualification next year. So it's really awesome to have all the world's best teams in in Australia and, and to be going down to Torquay, it'll be awesome. So I mentioned Com Games Silver, Asian, Asian Championship Silver, uh, Stard Beach Pro Tour Elite 16 Bronze, uh, Espino Beach Pro Tour Challenge Gold in Portugal and Kusa Darcy Beach Pro Tour Challenge Silver uh, in Turkey. Um as you come into this event, what do you put... I asked Maria Faye this. I'm not going to tell you what she said. What do you put down? Uh, what do you put it down to that you guys, from straight away since you got together after Rio, what do you put it down to that you've just been at a click from the moment that you've stepped out onto the sand together? It's all just seemed to work so well together. Have you been able to pinpoint what it is that makes you guys such a great combo? Um, oh, look, we've always just had really great chemistry I think we are just naturally like pretty similar players like we just have that really great free flow that's really exciting um for us and for people to watch us play which is really nice when we get that feedback of of enjoyment but we just really have that really like in the moment mindset and we just take it game by game tournament by tournament we just keep trying to grow um and that's all that really matters you know we got there to beat GB the world best and that's you know, always on our mind, but we're just trying to just be better people and better players. And, and yeah, it seems to be a nice, good recipe for us. Spoke to Maria Faye about what it meant uh, for her for this tournament to take place. She's got her wedding the week after. Her dad's going to see yeah. come over and see her play for the first time since she was a kid. The whole family is going to be there for her. It's the first major event on Australian soil since the 2018 Com Games. What does it mean for you personally to have an event of this magnitude, uh, not necessarily in Queensland where you're based, but but certainly on Australian sand? How big a deal is this? Oh, it's absolutely huge. And you, people don't realise too. Everyone's like, oh, you must get all these amazing beaches. But we actually rarely ever play on a beach. So <laughs> I'm happy to actually finally bring the world's best and be like, you know what, this is actually what a beach looks like. And Australia <laughs> has some of the best beaches. So that will be I know <laughs> that would be pretty huge, but my mum's also um, making the trip down too, which is awesome because, yeah, because we're always travelling and we never really play at home. It's nice to for her to, to come down. She was already fangirling some of the other teams. She's like, oh, I want to meet them and can I get a photo with them? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what about me? <laughs> it's going to be such an awkward invite uh, introduction to have to make. Hi, this is my mum. I know I'm just about to <laughs> do a number on you on the sand. Would you mind getting a selfie with her? Uh, <laughs> might be actually a good little game plan. I'm going to do that. Oh, get into the mind, you think? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. We all know each other really well on tour as well, so it might not work, but I'll give it a go. Um, Taliqua, we're speaking to Taliqua Clancy, one of Australia's best uh, beach volleyball players. Um, As a proud Indigenous woman too, uh, Willy Willy uh, Goring Goring, um, you're the first Indigenous Australian to, to play beach volleyball in an Olympics. Um, these events we, we've been speaking about uh, are so big for just the next generation of beach volleyball player because if you're if a show like this comes to town, what it can do for participation and inspiring the next group of kids that want to take to the sand is so crucial. But above, you know, even more so than that, 
for you in the role that you have um, as an Indigenous leader? How important is it for you personally for, for this tournament to be here so that more young Indigenous kids want to play beach volleyball? Oh, it's it's really special, you know. There's so much happening in the next 10 years in Australia and it's really the time now with Brisbane 2032 coming up and we got Com Games as well in 2026 in Victoria. So it's really a huge time for First Nations really just to, you know, stand proud. Uh, for me, it's representing as an athlete, which is, which is awesome and I hope I can encourage, you know, more mob to go out and participate in sport. But also, you know, it's a time too to showcase just our culture, uh, dance and art. So, yeah, bringing this all to Australia is really special. And I suppose, as you say, on the flip side of that, having people from so many other countries around the world be able to come to Australia and for them to experience all the things that you've just talked about is just as important, isn't it, to tell those stories on an international scale? Oh, it's going to be so huge. And that excites me so much that I'll be able to really show everybody our beautiful culture. We know how amazing it is, but it'd just be awesome for them to embrace it because travelling the world, there's one thing I do know is that when they fly over, they'll all just completely em- embrace that moment. It's a really special part that sport can can bring. So why um, why do we need to make sure that we're all getting to Torquay 23rd to the 4th of November, Beach Volley Fest, um, the, the music, the food, it's going to have everything that it, we, when you think festival, this is going to be it and more music, food, sport, um, beach, it's got, going to have it all. But for you, what, what, why is it so, why is this a must-see event? I think that's, like you said, everything that you just said then is beach volleyball. Beach volleyball is just such a great spectator sport. You can all get involved. It literally is a party at the beach. You'll see Maria Faye and I in Centre Court. We will be dancing. Like, you will feel <laughs> that energy from from everyone. So, it's just, yeah, come down, bring the family. Never watched before. Just, you'll have the best time. I can assure you that. So, you know, be there. I love it. Uh, couldn't have put it any better myself. Talikwa, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, thank you for what you and Maria Fay um, are doing for, for beach volleyball, the way that you represent our country, um, yourselves and Chris McHugh and Paul Burnett uh, are just doing such brilliant things in the sport and getting as many eyeballs on the sport as possible, which is such an important thing for the future and the sustainability of any sport. Um, we can't wait to see in action on home sand. It's going to be magnificent. Great. Thank you. Can't wait to see you all there. Uh, Taliqa Clancy, uh, one of many reasons why you need to make sure that you get to Torquay 23rd to the 4th of December, the Great Ocean Road Beach Volley Fest in Torquay. Uh, We've got some of the very best in the world uh, in this sport that are going to be in action. Some young stars on the rise as well, the very best internationally that this sport uh, throws up. So it's going to be at the elite level and very, very well worth the trip. Um, all the details are on the Beach Volley Fest website um, and it's all thanks to Victorian uh, Government, to uh, Beach Volleyball Australia. Make sure you get there. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 This is the Sporting Capital. Uh, we've still got to speak some NFL. Uh, we will do that um, with a man who's uh, waiting for us in Florida. NFL uh, journalist Bobby is a late out. So the lines are open. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 
Uh, that's the Harcourts open line. You'll move your Harcourts. You can text in at any stage, 0433981116 on the 40 Winks Temper Text. Consumer Choice winner. Uh, get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Um, yeah, I was, it was unsettling is probably the biggest word that came to mind. It's something that in my 20 years as an AFL umpire we've never experienced and it's a little bit like Fight Club. Um, what's the one rule of Fight Club, guys? It's, we never talk about Fight Club and that's Brownlow Medal for us. It's, we do our job and we treat it very seriously, um, but it's one thing we never discuss. So for this to come out, yeah, it's a bit of a shock and it's probably unsettled 34 field umpires today as well. So that's former AFL umpire Dean Margetts. Uh, the story today um, that uh, the Herald Sun have been at the forefront of, but a statement released by the AFL where the AFL EGM of football and general counsel Andrew Dillon um, stated in the days following the 2022 Brownlow medal count, the AFL was made aware of potential suspicious activity by one of our betting agency partners and the AFL integrity unit immediately gathered further info. Um, given the nature of the alleged activity, they engaged the Sports Integrity Australia and Victoria Police to assist the matter. Uh, he wants to stress that neither Victoria Police nor the AFL have information to suggest that the outcome of the Brownline medal was impacted as the allegations relate solely to the leaking or improper communications of the 3-2-1 voting outcomes of some specific matches during the season. Post-game, the Brownlow votes are sealed and stored in a secure off-site location and not open until they are delivered on stage uh, on Brownlow night. The sealed vote cards are audited throughout the season by KPMG. Uh, the Intelligence and Covert Support Command, Commander Deb Robertson, released a statement on Monday saying we have dedicated a team of detectives at the Sporting Integrity Intelligence Unit who are committed to investigating any and all allegations of corruption in sport. Uh, Victorians are well known for their love of AFL, in particular the prestigious Brownlow medal, but equally they want to know that there is integrity, fairness and honesty behind this award. We have been working with the AFL and Sport Integrity Australia in relation to these matters and we will continue to work together to target, disrupt and apprehend people who commit these offences. The public assistance is really key part. We know there are people out there involved in sport who see or hear things they know are not right and we need them to speak up. This can also be done confidentially via Crime Stoppers. So... Um, the Herald Sun um, have named the umpire and, and so too have many other media outlets who was one of four men arrested on Monday morning uh, by detectives from the Victoria Police Sporting Integrity Intelligence Unit. It was in relation to um, allegations he engaged in conduct that corrupts or would corrupt a betting outcome which carries a maximum penalty of uh, 10 years if uh, proven guilty. It's to do with bets on who would get three votes in certain AFL matches, all the men detained were released about midday with three of those expected to be charged on summons. A Victoria Police statement uh, said another man was released pending further inquiry. So it was the betting partner that alerted the AFL. They, in, in turn, uh, alerted the authorities. And just to sort of go through it in how it unfolded, uh, Anthony Dowsley um, spoke to Andy and Gazy uh, a little earlier on. And I'll just play you some bits and pieces uh, from that. Well, at some point this morning, uh, Victoria Police have turned up at a number of addresses uh, across Melbourne and they have uh, taken in four people for questioning over a, a illegal gambling scam, uh, which uh, has really uh, involved, uh, we think it involves uh, an AFL umpire who's been taken for questioning at the very least. We haven't established yet whether this is a, a leak, an unfortunate leak, or whether something more deliberate. 
Um, but we know that there's a there's a group that have uh, most likely plunged on a particular bet, uh, which would have stood out uh, to agencies that were were taking the bets. And what these what people don't really realise is that sporting agencies uh, enter an agreement with sporting bodies, mm. and if they see something unusual, they will report it. So this might have come through pretty quickly, um, and therefore set off the alarm arm bells and all of a sudden the associations would be quickly determined between who these people are and who they might know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you've got a, a, an emerging scandal like this. Yeah, so all these these betting agencies and, and, the, and, and the people who investigate it can do analytics on, on, on betting plunges, the patterns of betting, who bets, who doesn't, what's unusual, what isn't. So as you might have known, Back in 2013, the uh, Sports Integrity Unit within Victoria Police, uh, they, did a, they did an investigation into the Southern Stars, which were a, is a soccer group uh, in the Victorian Premier League, and um, mm. they, they uncovered a, a, an organised syndicate of you know, goalkeepers and players and offic- officials involved in trying to do certain things in certain matches, which you know, certain poor play became very, very noticeable. Um, and there was an international betting ring just putting putting money on these things. I think it reached about $2 million. Now, this is nowhere near the scale of that. Um, but what we have is, you know, um, a couple of 32-year-olds, uh, 27-year-olds and 29-year-olds taken in mm. uh, today, and they will have got the shock of their lives. They will now be um, there. Well, police say they've all been released, um, and three of them are expected to face uh, face charges. Uh, well, there's a, there's the the easy way to explain it is that illegal betting on the Brownlow Medal. Right. <laughs> um, the the hard way to explain it um, is that it's called the offence of engaging in conduct that corrupts or would corrupt the betting outcome. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So that's uh, a bit of an update on where things are. So how this happened, why this happened, is going to come out in the course of time. But apparently, this investigation has been going on for a month, and it is a, a dark day in football because if this is proven to be true then you know it means that the Brownlow medal's been you know tarnished and it's and it would be gutting to the umpires. Ray Chamberlain said to us how important this was and how seriously they take the honour that it is to give those votes. Um, so it is a dark day uh, in footy. Back to wrap up the sporting capital after this. Uh, as I finish up tonight, I just want to say well done to Andrew Martin, Bendigo boy, uh, Aussie golfer, who for the second time has won the Vic PGA. And to do it this time, he had to shoot uh, a best of the day 64 bogey free uh, and then five birdies in a drama-fueled five-hole playoff saga uh, at Moona Lynx. Beautiful course uh, down on the peninsula. Um, so congratulations, mate. Um, it's a phenomenal effort and hope it's the start of a, a successful summer for Andrew Martin. There's a bit of golf news around as well. South Australia are going to get the live event that's coming next year. Dude, they're having a big, big month for sporting events. Uh, Adelaide, what else are we going to be uh, sculling over to see in the city of churches uh, in the near or, or distant future. Uh, but that's uh, a big story as well. I'll discuss that and a whole lot more in the world of golf with Nick Ahern tomorrow night from 8 with Off the Tee. Uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your night. Stay safe. And we'll speak to you all again tomorrow night.
For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.